Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome. This is our fourth week in a series called You Are Not Alone. And in fact, this T-shirt I have on right here, Y-N-A-N-A, that's what that stands for, Y-A-N-A. You are not alone. Uh, So we've been talking about the importance of relationships and community. And really, that's really the focus of our church for this entire year of 2021 is to help you and to help our community have a sense of connection. And because we believe that it's not good for a man to be alone, just like God said in Genesis, it's not good for anyone to be alone. So we're doing the best we can to make sure everyone feels connected, that they feel like they belong, that they're part of a family because you need it, you need community. And so we've been looking at different types of people that we need in our community over the past four weeks. You don't just need any old type of relationships. You need intentional friendships and relationships because we are called to be a living network of people. And have you ever heard the statement, uh, Jim Rohn says it, he says, you are the sum of the five closest relationships that you have. Or maybe you've heard it said like this, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I can't tell you how true that statement is. The network you belong to, the group that you belong to, it really is the direction your life is heading in. I bet you never heard this before. This is kind of crazy. If your friend gains weight, you are 45% more likely to gain weight. All right? That's pretty crazy. Here's what's even crazier. If not only just a friend, but if a friend of a friend of yours gains weight, you are 20% more likely to gain weight. And it goes even further than that. If a friend of a friend of a friend gains weight, then you're 10% more likely to gain weight. The true is also, the same is true also for smoking. If your friend smokes, you're 60% more likely to smoke. If a friend of a friend smokes, you're 29% more likely to smoke. And if a friend of a friend of a friend smokes, you're 11% more likely to smoke. That's crazy. You know what that tells me is that we are behavioral creatures and we behave like the group we belong to. I'm going to say that again. We behave like the group we belong to. So it's so important that the network of people that we have and the network of people that we are as a community is a network of people that is pushing each other, pushing one another, spurring one another on to good works uh, for the kingdom of God. It's so important. So the first week we looked at the importance of having an encourager in our lives like Barnabas. The second week we let Lydia from the New Testament represent hospitality And then last week, we talked about Onesiphorus, and he represents commitment. These are the type of people we need in our lives. We need encouragers, people that make room for us. We need people that are committed to one another. And week number four, here we are. We are going to talk about the importance of being on mission. We need to have friends. We need to have people surrounding us that are consumed with the mission of the kingdom of God people that are calling us to do greater works for God, calling us to burn with passion for the kingdom of God. Because if our friends are going after God with all their heart and after the great commission, then more likely we're gonna join in that mission with them. And so today, 
who are we going to look at in the New Testament? We're going to look at a power couple. All right, we're going to look at a couple together. They are called Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila, a match made in heaven. You know they were meant to be together because their names rhyme like that. It was just, it was from the Lord. So Priscilla and Aquila, they represent people who are on mission and they greatly help the Apostle Paul. So here's what we're going to do when we look at Priscilla and Aquila's life. There are three major cities that represent how their life was on mission, okay? There was the city of Rome, there was the city of Corinth, and there was the city of Ephesus. These are ancient cities that all played a part, that all played a role or a season in their life. And we're gonna look at those cities and then how it affected their life and how they were on mission in each and every one of these cities. And you can see on the map how, you know, spaced out they go from west to east, from Rome to Corinth, and then down to Ephesus. So let's get to Acts chapter 18, where we're first introduced to Priscilla and Aquila. Acts 18 and verse 1, it says this, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. Let's start with our first city in Priscilla and Aquila's mission. First, we're going to start with the city of Rome. And here's what represents, here's what Rome represents for us today. People on mission know how God can use pain for his purpose. I'm going to say that again. People on mission know that God can use pain for his purpose. Rome was a curveball for Priscilla and Aquila. I don't know about you, but sometimes life throws us curveballs. Have you ever had a curveball thrown in your life? We all play out scenarios in our heads. We all think of things about how our life is going to be, but one day you wake up and something's changed. Something's different. Maybe a loved one passed away. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost your house. Maybe you lost a spouse or a family. For whatever reason, you got hit with a big curveball and everything you had dreamed, everything you had planned, everything you thought your life was going to be, all of a sudden, it's completely different. Well, this is what Rome represents for Priscilla and Aquila. I can only imagine the dreams they had as living as a couple in the big city of Rome. By this time, Rome was the most important city in the world. As the Roman Empire was expanding, there was money and resources flowing into Rome. It's a city of considerable wealth, a city of great commerce and prosperity. It was so great that the great Caesar Augustus once bragged that he inherited Rome and it was a city of brick. But when he left Rome, it was a city of marble. I mean, it's crazy. Many of these ancient buildings that were built back then still stand today. It's just so wild how amazing the city was and the architecture. Rome was a cosmopolitan city. Every race, ethnic group, religious persuasion, social status, it could all be found in Rome. It was a city of endless possibility. So many people would sell their farms, they would sell property, and they would move to Rome in hopes of a better life for themselves, believing that they were going to make it big in the big city, the eternal city as it's known. And so I can only imagine the dreams that Aquila and Priscilla had 
being a young couple in the big city. But all of a sudden, one day, it's all taken from them like that. The emperor Claudius, it was in AD 49, he makes a decree. All Jewish people have to leave. You cannot be in Rome anymore. So just like that, they have to pack up their family. They have to leave their home. They have to leave their job. Every bit of stability and the sense of who they are in the world was gone. And they have no say in the matter. They can't stop it. It, it just, it is what it is. But here's what I love about Priscilla and Aquila. You don't hear of them complaining. You don't hear of them getting bitter. You don't hear of them stopping their dreams or dreaming. They just, they do what they have to do. They move on. They move to another city called Corinth, but it was in Corinth where they met Paul and they formed a covenant relationship in a covenant partnership that would change their life forever. So here's the deal. People that are on mission, here's what they realize, that God is going to redeem their pain, that even when life throws them curveballs, even when life takes them off the path they thought they were on, they thought they were pursuing, and now they're on a different path. People that have a mission mind can see that God Almighty is sovereign. And even though there might be a bend in the road, it's never the end of the road if you're following Jesus Christ, because you never know who God will bring into your path when he changes your path. And this is something, this is a mindset of faith that we're gonna have to have because life's gonna throw us all sorts of curveballs. But somehow we need to be able to be like even Joseph in the Old Testament, that after many years of hardship and trials, he was able to look at his brothers in the face, his brothers that had sold him into slavery, his brothers that because of them, he lost connection with his dad, he lost connection with his family, he ends up in a prison and in a pit because of his brothers. But how is he able to look them in the face many years later and look at them and say, you meant it for evil, you tried to harm me, but God meant it for good that God brought this all about so he could keep many people alive, even yourself today. How can someone do that? Only when you have a missional mindset, only when you have that faith mindset that no matter what happens, God is working to the good. All things, as Romans 8, 12, 8 tells us, is that God is working all things for our good. That doesn't mean all things are good, that doesn't mean everything that happens to us in life is good. No, there's bad things that happen. Bad things happen to good people. It's really hard to explain that. We don't know how to explain that. But here's with the eyes of faith and the eyes of mission is what we can say. Even though this bad thing has happened to me, somehow God is going to take the shattered pieces of my life and my dreams and he's gonna rework it and put some things back together. He is making all things work to the good. If Aquila and Priscilla had never been kicked out of Rome, if they never had lost their dreams of living in the eternal city, then you know what? They never would have met a man named Paul that changed their life forever. Here's what I know about God. Here's what I know about us. Number one, God is more interested in your character than he is your comfort. So he will allow trials and pains and hard times to come because he's more interested in forming you and shaping you into something than he is you being comfortable. And here's what I know about us. We rarely grow 
we rarely gain any ground when we're in comfort. (laughs) When we're in comfort, we're set in our ways. We are who we are. It's only when we get pushed out of comfort and we go through something that character is formed inside of us. Now, I remember a story that Pastor Craig Rochelle tells. You know, he's a pastor of a really struggling church in Oklahoma of about 100,000 people. (laughs) He's struggling. But uh, no, he, he tells the story about how he went to breakfast with his mentor and he had these big dreams of launching this big church. And he, he was just going on and on, telling his mentor over breakfast about how God was gonna use them to do this and their church was gonna be like this and like that. And his mentor just stopped him in the middle of it and just said, well, hold on, Craig. I have something for sure that I wanna promise you. And Craig was like, oh, great, he's gonna... What's he gonna say? Is he amazed at our vision, that what God's gonna do? And he just stopped and he said, Craig, all those things may happen, but here's one promise I can make of you, that God is going to break you. <laughs> Not very encouraging. God is going to break you. A.W. Tozer says it like this. It's, if God is gonna bless a man greatly, he must first wound him deeply. (laughs) You see, we all want to be used by God. I know deep in your heart, you want to be used by God. You want to do great things. I want to do great things. Oh, how I want the Lord to use me on his mission on this earth. But the truth of the matter is before God can use us greatly, he must first break us. And that sounds not exciting. That sounds not fun. But here's this mental picture has helped me think of it. Think about, have you ever seen raw iron ore, like ore that is from the earth, just straight iron? You know, that iron is useless unless it's shaped into something. How do we get a sword or how do we get an ax or how do we get a knife? That, that raw ore has to be taken and it has to be taken through a process called tempering. In the process of tempering, that ore is heated up to extreme temperatures and it purifies the metal. And it goes through a process of holding and hammering and then extreme cooling and then reheating it again. And this process, what it's meant to do is, number one, it's meant to shape it into the tool that it's called to be. It makes it strong so that it can take a beating so that it won't, when the pressure's on, it won't break. And it makes it flexible, moldable, malleable. So it can, when when it's being bent, it won't be so brittle. And you see, when you come to Christ, you're like that raw iron ore. God's got great plans for you. God's gonna use you to do great things. But before you can do great things, you gotta be shaped into the the tool. You gotta be shaped into the thing you're supposed to be in order to be used. And that only comes through the heat and the fire. People that are on mission know that God can use their pain for his purpose. So today it might feel like you've been knocked off your path. It might feel like you're moving further away from where you thought the plan of God was for your life. Just know that God is sovereign. He's watching over your path today. Rome might be in your rear view mirror like it was for Priscilla and Aquila, but God just might be causing you to cross paths with someone who's going to unlock your destiny. He might be moving you to Corinth, which is the next city the city of Corinth. This was the next phase of the journey for Priscilla and Aquila. And this is what Corinth represents to us. 
People on mission see their work as their witness. I'm going to say that again. People on mission see their work as their witness. By the time of the New Testament, the city of Corinth was the most prosperous city in Greece. It would soon become the largest city in Greece. It was actually a Roman colony city. Roman soldiers would move here and settle after retirement. The prosperity of the city was due to two large ports, one facing east, one facing west, and there was a two-mile-wide canal that provides a jumping-off point for people traveling east or west of the Mediterranean. It was also the link between northern and southern Greece. A lot of people were passing through the city of Corinth. Also, Corinth was the home of the Isthmian Games. It happened every two years, and it was only slightly less popular than the Olympics. Why do I tell you all this? I, told, I tell you this because Corinth was transient. Many people were traveling there from all over the empire. It's where people came for rest, recreation, entertainment. All, people from all over the world were coming here. And so Paul saw Corinth as a place, instead of him having to go out into all the world, he saw Corinth as a place where the whole world was coming to him. And it was, in, it was such a great opportunity for Paul to make new converts and to embed the kingdom of God in the Greco-Roman culture. It was just an opportunity, and Paul did something he rarely does in his missionary journeys as he stays for a long time. Acts 18, 19 through 11 tells us that Paul ends up staying in Corinth for 18 months, a year and a half. And you want to know where Paul stayed? He crashed on the couch of Priscilla and Aquila. They had left Rome. They're now in Corinth, and, the, and they meet Paul, who's in Corinth. And now, here they are together. Can you imagine having the Apostle Paul as your roommate for 18 months? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a roommate. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. You know, I wonder if Priscilla and Aquila wrote their name on their bag of flowers so Paul wouldn't use it. I don't know. They were, they were roommates for 18 months, they crashed on, he crashed on their couch. I love to have guests over at my house, but after about three days, I love you. It's time for you to go. It's time for you to get on out. Paul stayed with them for 18 months. Imagine that gift of hospitality they had, Priscilla and Aquila. They opened their life up to this man. Imagine the nighttime fireside chats, the dinner chats that they had. Imagine what they were receiving in discipleship by opening up their house to this man. Their life would have been extremely impacted. We know uh, through his, his, historically that Paul wrote the letter to the Thessalonians while he was in Corinth. So Priscilla and Aquila literally had someone in their living room who was writing the Bible. <laughs> it's very, it's so cool, I think. And it never would have happened if they didn't get kicked out of Rome. It happened because they opened their hearts up to this man while he was in Corinth. And so what was it that brought them together? Acts 18.3 tells us it was because he was of the same trade that he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. See, Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila were tent makers. And this would be a trade that was so appropriate for the city of Corinth because many visitors, remember, they're in and out of Corinth all the time. So this trade of tent making would have put them in a strategic place to meet new people in order to share the gospel with them. They had a niche 
in the marketplace. And this niche in the marketplace is what opened up the door for them to share the gospel in the city of Corinth. In other words, their work was their witness. Their work was their witness. What I love about Priscilla and Aquila, they're not professional Christians. They're not on a church staff. They're just people who love Jesus with all their heart. They have a skill, they have a trade, they're tent makers, and they use what's in their hands to further the kingdom of God. Listen to me, listen to me, please. I'm telling you this. God loves our Sundays. He loves it when we gather and when we honor him. But Sundays when we gather, we must not think that when we leave the gathering or when we're done watching online, that when we leave, we just go out into the world and we leave God wherever we gather. No, when we gather, it's great. We have the presence of God. But when we leave, we take the presence of God with us wherever we go. We take the kingdom of God with us. Here's what you need to know, that God cares just as much about your Mondays as he does your Sundays. You're gonna spend over 90,000 hours of your lifetime working somewhere. And if you think God can only show up one day a week in a gathering with people called the church, we, have, we, are, we are setting ourselves up for not having a, a huge kingdom impact in the world. No, God wants to show up on Monday. Just like Priscilla and Aquila use their work as a witness, God wants you to use your work as your witness. My job is not more important than your job. You think, oh, he's the pastor. He's the man of God and all that kind of stuff. Listen, none of that. You are a person. You're a man or a woman of God, and you take the kingdom of God with you wherever you go. You're on mission on Mondays, mission Mondays. <laughs> and I, I think it's, interesting that Jesus makes 132 public appearances and 122 of them are in the marketplace. Jesus talks about 52 parables. 45 of those parables are about the marketplace. In Acts, there's 49 divine interventions. The Holy Spirit shows up and 39 out of the 40, it's in the marketplace. It's not in the church house. It's out there. It's in the world. It's wherever you go. You need to know today that your ordinary job or what you think is ordinary can have eternal significance. You can move the kingdom of God right where you're at. There's a, a doctor, his name's Dr. Chauncey Crandall. He's a cardiologist. And actually I know him through a friend of a friend, Pastor Joel Stockstill. He's come to our church. He's preached several times here. This is Pastor Joel's cardiologist. Pastor Joel's had several heart surgeries over his lifetime. But Dr. Crandall is a cardiologist, one of the best in the United States. He lives in West Palm Beach, okay? His, his clients are athletes, celebrities, billionaires, and then sometimes ordinary people like me and you. Dr. Crandall, he's a believer. Uh, he's a strong believer. But he got messed up one time when he went on a mission trip with a guy named David Hogan. I don't know if you've ever heard of the ministry of David Hogan, but David Hogan's pretty wild. He's a rough, tough, gruff guy. He's riding Harley motorcycles. I mean, he's a man's man. And he goes, David Hogan goes deep into the mountains in Mexico and he ministers to Indian tribes in Mexico. And, and listen, David Hogan's ministry has seen crazy miracles. People raised from the dead, healings of bodies. I mean, just, just crazy stuff, awesome stuff. So, this cardiologist, Dr. Crandall, he went for two weeks into the mountains with 
uh, with David Hogan, and it was awesome. But when he got back, he had, I call it the missions trip letdown. And if you've ever been on a missions trip, you know what I mean. This happens to so many people. They go, on a, they go out of the country, they go serve, they go preach the gospel, they pray for people on the streets, they build an orphanage, they feel so fulfilled when they're out there on the mission field, and then they come back home to their normal jobs, their normal lives, their normal families, the bills, and there's just this letdown. It's like, ah, what happened? I just, and so he, he's feeling this. He's like, God, he was ready to give up his medical practice. He was ready to quit being a cardiologist. He was like, God, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be on mission. Send me to Mexico. I'm ready to sell everything I have and go to Mexico. And he, he found himself praying this prayer because David Hogan ministers to Indians. He wanted God. God, show me my Indians. Where is my tribe? Where is my mission? And he began to cry out to God, show me my Indians. And he was coming off the elevator one morning, and he had been praying that at the hospital. And as he walked out of the elevator, the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart, and he said, your patients are your Indians. Your patients are your Indians. And that was a revolutionary day for Dr. Crandall because he had never thought about that. And he decided from that point on, he said, you know what? I'm going to start praying for one of my patients once a week. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help me know which ones to pray for and then I'm going to pray for him. So he tried it. The first time he tried it, he prayed for a woman before a surgery. He asked if he could pray for her, and she said, yes, you can pray for me. He took her by the hand and prayed, and when he opened his eyes, she was in tears, and he thought, oh, no. He said, are you okay, ma'am? Have I done something? Are you okay? And she said, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. She said, no one has prayed for me in over 40 years. This is the first time in 40 years anyone has prayed for me. And it was at that point that just the light bulb went out, went off for Dr. Crandall, that God was going to use him right where he was at, right there in his job. And now it's not just one a week. He's praying for 150 patients every week that he sees. He's sharing the gospel with him. Dr. Crandall has had people that had been dead for 40 minutes, and he stood over their dead body. When medical things weren't working anymore, he prayed for them. And it's been medically documented they came back to life after being dead for 40 minutes because that heart doctor believes in the power of prayer. And the Lord showed him, my patients are my Indians. Listen to this quote from Dr. Crandall. He says, he says this, I understand now that God puts us in places and among people for a purpose. We don't have to go out and secure a tribe for ourselves. He brings the tribe to us. And usually when we open our eyes, they are already in our midst. Patients, clients, coworkers, fans, peers, neighbors, family, a school, a team. Any of these could be your Indians. Listen, Priscilla and Aquila, they were on mission. They used their work as their witness. I'm telling you, there is glory for your job. There is the kingdom of God where you go on Mondays that God wants to use you as a witness for the world. All right, here's the last one. Ephesus. They go from Rome to Corinth, and now they're in Ephesus. Ephesus represents for us this, that people who are on mission take risks. They take risks. Ephesus was a city of about 250,000 people during Paul's day. 
It would have been the third largest city in the empire behind Rome and Alexandria. It was a city of inestimable importance and a strategic location. It was in the eastern province of the Roman Empire, and it was the communication hub for all of Asia. The emperor had a college of messengers there, and so it was an important city. Paul was in the business of communicating himself, so that's why he ends up staying in Ephesus longer than he did anywhere else. He stayed for about three years. So this is the communications hub for the Asia Minor section of the Roman Empire. Paul, in the communication business, seizes on this opportunity. And listen, the ministry of Paul in the city of Ephesus, it booms. He stays there even longer than he did in Corinth. He stays for about three years. And because of him staying there, the Bible tells us that all of Asia heard the gospel through this. And you want to know what's amazing about this is that we know that Paul, he takes Priscilla and Aquila with him to Ephesus. Hey, let's, let's read this together. Acts 18, 18 through 28. It says, after this, Paul stayed many days longer than he took leave of, of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centre he had cut his hair and he was under a vow, and they came to Ephesus and he left them there. So Paul, he now takes Priscilla and Aquila with him. And remember, missional people take risks. Think about the risk. They were kicked out. Priscilla and Aquila were kicked out of Rome. They had no choice. They had to leave Rome. They were made to leave Rome. Then they make a life for themselves again in Corinth. I'm sure they built their business back up. Everything's going smooth. But now Paul has asked them to accompany him on a journey eastward. And you know what? They make a decision. They weren't forced to do it this time. This time they take a risk and they leave again. They're on to their next adventure. They're on from Corinth to Ephesus. They take a risk. They take a chance. And the chance was worth it because they got to be a part of one of the biggest moves of God that we read about in the entire New Testament. What God does in the city of Ephesus is astounding. And it happens because Priscilla and Aquila were on mission. Paul actually leaves Ephesus. He goes away. He goes somewhere else for a little bit. He leaves them there in Ephesus to take care of the church and to lay the groundwork. And then Paul comes back and boom, explosion happens in Ephesus. It's amazing the things that they get to do. If you read Acts 18, 24 through 28, you'll see that Priscilla and Aquila are used by God to mentor one of the greatest missionaries of the church to the Gentiles. His name is Apollos. Listen to this. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit, he spoke, and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those in public through grace who had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. 
God used Priscilla and Aquila. And it's important to notice the, the way Luke puts Priscilla's name before Aquila. That is what a lot of scholars believe, that she was actually the more prominent of the two. She was the more prominent being used of God. They were a dynamic couple, but she's mentioned first because she's a boss. <laughs> and here she is instructing Apollos, who will go on to instruct so many about the way of the Lord. It's almost as if the things Paul poured into them at Corinth, now they're pouring into Apollos and they're sent out. God worked in Priscilla and Aquila in lasting, impactful, eternal ways, but it only happened because they took a God-sized risk. They had to leave Corinth. They had to leave what was seemingly successful behind and move on to what God had for them in Ephesus. And if you follow Jesus long enough, if you walk with him long enough, I can guarantee you he's going to ask you at some point to take a risk. He's going to ask you at some point to walk on the water like he did Peter. Come on out here on this water, Peter. He, he may ask you to do things you can't do like he asked a man with a withered hand to stretch forth his hand. And he will ask you to do things that seem impossible, things that seem like there's no way I can do this. I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. I don't have the ability. But I'm telling you, if God asks you, if he puts a dream in your heart, you must take the risk and follow Jesus into the unknown. You know, when people die, it's proven. They've, they've had people that do research that they sit with people who die. And you know what? The people who are on their deathbeds, they don't regret necessarily the things they did. They regret the things they didn't do. Most people regret the chances they never took, the risks they never went after. You have one life to live. You've got one life to live. You might as well blow it for Jesus and his kingdom. You might as well risk it for the kingdom of God. You know, a lot of people think the goal of life is to arrive safely at death. Safety is not our highest goal. It's not our highest priority. Our highest priority is seeing the kingdom of God advance throughout the world. It's taking God-sized risk and God, having God-sized dreams that only he can help us make it happen. You know, a lot of people want to be deep. Oh, I want to be deep. They want to be deep in theology or deep in prayer. And I get all that. That's great. But what if being deep in God is just simply being in over your head? Meaning if God doesn't come to your rescue, you've taken such a big risk that if God doesn't help you, it's not going to happen at all. It's only when we take those God-sized risks that are from him. I'm not telling you to be dumb. I'm not telling you to be stupid. But if he puts a dream in your heart, if he plants a seed in you about doing something, go after it with all your heart. Go do it. I don't know what your life is about. I don't know what mission you're on. But I'm telling you, there's no other mission that's greater fulfilling than the Great Commission. I don't care. Your mission right now might be to make as much money as you can. That's not a good mission. You're going to be miserable. I have a friend who uh, recently he had a chance to go and to visit um, a marina where the world's greatest super yachts are held. He got, a, uh, he got to go in and tour all these super yachts. I mean, yachts that are like $250 million boats. And the guy that's over the marina, he says, some people have bought these boats and they've never even been here to see them. <laughs> and the guy who watched the marina, he said, I want to tell you who the saddest and loneliest people are on the planet. It's the people who own these boats. I've been around them. 
they're alone, they're by themselves. They're sad. They sit on these boats by themselves often. They've lost their, they've gotten rich, but because and but in the process of going after those things, their kids have OD'd, they've lost their children, or they won't even speak to them because they've just neglected their families. They they went after the riches and the success, but now they're alone. He says, There are people on these yachts that have asked me, is there anybody I can pay to come and watch a movie with me right now? That's how lonely they are. You can go after all those things. You can go after worldly success. You could spend your life uh, living, living it out, I don't know, in whatever way, but I'm telling you, the most fulfilling way is gonna be if you spend your life, if you risk your life for eternal things. God is calling us to take some risks. In 2021, he's calling us to take some risks. I don't know, he might be calling you to start a business, he might be calling you to move. He might be calling you to stay when you, want, when you felt like you wanted to move. I don't know what he's calling you to, but I can tell you this. It's when we take risks in the name of Jesus that we figure out who he is and that he's with us and that he'll just blow our minds with his goodness. You know, I was talking to my dad this week and he was telling me a story about when he first started serving the Lord. He felt like in his heart, he woke up in the middle of the night, he was living in South Georgia, and he felt like in the middle of the night, God woke him up and told him, basically, you're, you're gonna move to Cleveland, Tennessee. And I mean, my dad had no job here, he had nothing, he felt like, but for whatever reason, that's what God had called him to. And <laughs> he took God has got my mom and they loaded up in their little, U-Haul, I mean, a 12-foot U-Haul, they put in everything they owned, <laughs> a little trailer, and they moved to Cleveland, Tennessee. And they were trying to figure out how they were going to live, what kind of job they were going to have. And my dad had, I think he had $10 in his pocket. He had $10 in his pocket. He had scored a job being a bus driver, and he needed nine of those dollars to be able to get uh, to take the test to become a bus driver. So he was going to take the test to become a bus driver, and then that was going to be his job. He was sitting in a service, and he had that $10 bill in his pocket. And when the offering time came, he felt something inside of him that said, "You, it's time for you to give that $10. And my dad thought, ain't no way I'm giving this. This is all I got. I've only got $10, and I got to get this bus pass so I can, you know, make a become a bus driver so I can make a living for my family. And he's in a room, he's in a sanctuary, and there's millionaires in this room. There's people that got so much money, he's like, God, ask them for $10. You know, they could give it. Why, why do I have to give it? But he knew in his heart, God was asking him to do something. God was asking him to take a risk. And if he didn't do it, he would regret it. And so if you ask him how he put those $10 in the offering bucket, he said, I pulled them out $1 at a time. <laughs> so I pulled them out and I put them in there. And the next day he goes to get his driver's license. He has no money. He doesn't know how he's going to do it. He asked someone there if he could borrow 10 bucks. And they said, well, we don't know. I'm not going to do that for you. He said, just give me one more minute. He went back and he had a friend that was from South Georgia that had just been home and visited. And he went back and he, he said, look, when you left South Georgia, did anybody give you anything for me? Did they, did they send anything for me? Did, I mean, anything. 
And the lady said, no, I can't think so. And then she said, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. When I was walking out the door the other day, Debbie, which is my dad's uh, sister-in-law, handed me a $20 bill and said, give this to Terry. (laughs) And it was at that moment when it was just like the Lord showed my dad and my mom that they were going to take a risk. They moved. They felt like they didn't have much, but they gave it all. They risked it all. And $10 at that point seemed like a lot. Might not seem like a lot to you, but $10 for them was all they had. And God provided for them in ways they would never believe. Here we are at this church today in Tennessee, and it's all because they took a chance and risked. I want to challenge you. Let's be people who are on mission. You might be going through pain. God's going to use that pain. It's not going to waste the pain. God's going to use you at your work. Your work is your witness. And God's going to, he's going to ask you to take some risks. But when you step out in faith, I promise you, he will meet you there on the water, just like he did for the apostle Peter. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your people today. Lord, I, I pray that we would be a people who are on mission, that we are a people who have assignments from you. You've called us to fulfill these things. You've called us to step out, to take risks, to go after the dreams that you've put in our heart. Or we don't want to go after our own vanity. We don't want to go after our own things. Whatever your dream is for our life, that's what we want. We surrender to you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, I love you. Thank you so much. Know you can be here with us at 9 o'clock or 11 or 10 a.m. right here virtually. Check out the groups online. Join a group. And uh, next week, I'll be back and I'll get to share with you what you gave to Jeff and Katie. It's their last Sunday here. We're planting a seed as they journey out and take a risk to take a pastorate. I'll be back next week to let you know and thank you for the amount that you gave. So have a great day. We'll see you soon.